Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open up to James chapter 2 as we continue our study today. Uh, James in action, faith in action. Uh, We could spend months and months in the book of James, uh, but we are only going to spend these last few weeks of the summer. I think we'll wrap up at the end of July, and we're going to continue this morning talking about faith in action. What does that look like? Uh, let me say, too, while you're turning there, a big thank you to uh, Kayla and our VBS team. Um, uh, I was here uh, almost every day this past week. They were here every day, some very, very early setting up. And she mentioned all those kitchen and production team and teachers. And I tell you what, if you were not here, I want you to know that you would have been extremely proud. And to see almost 100 kids in this room worshiping and learning about Jesus, folks, that's what it's all about. And uh, that's the next generation. Those are the people who, while they're in the, their, their Sunday school classes and small group activities now while we're in worship, a lot of them, they will one day be occupying your seat and my seat. And what a privilege to pour into them. And she did a fantastic job and the team did a fantastic job. Had a lot of great conversations. I got to stand in the uh, uh, the pickup line uh, most of the days as, as parents were swinging in to pick up their kids and a lot of great conversations. Uh, a lot of people loving the fact that our church did this and a lot of people looking for a church family. And if you're visiting this morning and you had kids in Bible school, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, we want you to count Crossroads home and if we can serve you in any way, we want to do that. So, so uh, welcome, welcome. The, the passage that we're going to look at, I want to go ahead and tell you from the beginning this morning is a difficult one because it seems to contradict other things that the Bible says. And what you'll find out as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus and the Bible is sometimes you'll come across passages and you'll go, wow, that sounds different than what I read somewhere else. And what we've talked about this before, what our world is great at doing is taking different verses out of context and making the Bible say things that the Bible doesn't say. And that's why you need to look at what all of the Bible says when you're talking about an issue. And we're going to kind of do that today. So you're, you're going to need a Bible or an app because we're going to be flipping around at different passages to try to make sense of what James is saying here. Uh, let me say from the get-go, e- eternal life is for everybody. And we say this a lot. Uh, hopefully you hear this in your small groups, that the way that you gain eternal life is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, placing your full trust in Him. For God so loved the world that He came, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. All you and I have to do to get eternal life is believe. Sounds easy, doesn't it? It's easy. Not necessarily simple, but it is easy. But this passage seems to say the opposite, and we're going to look at it in just a minute, starting with verse 14. Uh, James seems to say a little bit different. This, this passage of Scripture so challenged 
people in the past that people like Martin Luther tried to have this particular passage in James removed from the Bible because he didn't like it, because it made him a little nervous. And uh, it makes me a little bit nervous, but you have to read the whole counsel of God's Word to understand what's happening. When you read some of this, you may start to ask your question, okay, how do we justify what James says when he starts talking about works with what Jesus said? Or maybe what Paul said? So if you want to hold your finger right there in James for just a minute and flip backwards to Ephesians, let's look real quick just to get in context uh, of the whole Word of God. Let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Because we're getting ready to read some verses in James that are going to sound contrary to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, here's what Paul says, By grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. All right, let's flip over back over to James and see what James has to say. Let's pick it up. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Uh Uh-oh. Is James contradicting Paul? We're going to find out. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was it not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God... And it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Oh, me. How do we resolve this seeming conflict, this seeming uh, paradox in the Bible where Paul is saying, by grace you're saved, and James seems to say, well, what about, what about the works? Because just as the body... Or he says, you see, a man is justified by works, not by faith alone, verse 24. Here's what we've got to understand. A few things before we kind of get into the meat of this. Context is king. I've said that a lot because it's true. Context is king. Every time you read something in the Bible, you need to see what the context is. So let's talk about the context a little bit. We've talked about who James is. James, half-brother of Jesus, who doubted Jesus A lot really wasn't sure that Jesus was the Messiah until he resurrected. And then James believed that Jesus was who he said he was. That's who's writing this uh, passage. He's writing this book. And he's writing it to a group of people. Corey reminded us a few weeks ago. A group of people, believers, who are struggling with understanding what does it mean to follow the rules of Jesus or the, the grace of Jesus, the following of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. What does that mean? They were still trying to figure this out. They were kind of really like a new church. And so James is giving them really a crash course on discipleship. Now, we need that same crash course in 2021 
in a lot of churches across our land because what we have in a lot of churches is we have people who have given their lives to Jesus and really nothing else has happened. And so James is kind of talking about those kinds of people. People who, yes, you're saved, yes, you're going to heaven, but what after that? And the Bible teaches us, the whole counsel of God teaches us, that God did not just save us to go to heaven, church. That is a great byproduct. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to see people who have gone before me, who are living with Jesus. I'm going to be walking down the streets of gold. I'm not going to have no more worries, no more tears, none of that. That is awesome, but that's only a part of following Jesus. That's only one of the benefits of knowing Jesus and accepting Jesus. And eternal life, by the way, doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's when eternal life starts. That's when life with Jesus starts. That's when the grace of Jesus starts. That's when having fellowship with Jesus starts. Empowerment, guidance by the Holy Spirit. All those great things that we sometimes overlook because we're so looking forward to our eternal home. And that's great. And it's going to be great. But James is giving them a crash course really on discipleship. And here's what he says. He brings up this question, are we really justified by faith alone? You know, I struggle, honestly, sometimes sharing the gospel. And by the way, if you're a believer, that's our job, not just for the professional paid Christians, but for all of us, our job is to share the gospel. And sometimes I struggle with sharing the gospel because if you share the gospel correctly and you help people who are flawed, who are sinners understand that for them to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, which most of them don't even have a clue what we're talking about when we say that and throw out those spiritual Jesus churchy words. They don't know what that means. To be saved by grace, to start new, to make Christ the ruler and the Lord of their life. When I share with them that and share with them, many times they'll say, well, what do I have to do? And I'll say, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Him. And most of the time, people who, if we're delivering the gospel correctly, most of the time, the question that will come is this. Well, if all I have to do is believe, then I could go out and live however I want, right? And I... So if you ever wonder when you're sharing the gospel, and hopefully you are, if that question doesn't come to mind, you might not be sharing it correctly. Because that's how simple it is. It is to believe. Now we're going to find out there's more, there's more that comes after you truly believe. And as a parent, those of you who are parents or coaches or you influence kids, you know that if your kids really love you, they will want to honor you. And they will want to do what you say. And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. So let's kind of dig back here and see what this passage is saying. And to do it, there's some things that we need to know. We need to understand some of the terms that are being used in this passage. There's four key words in here. The word save, the word dead, the word justify, and the word perfect. So let's look at them. In verse 14, here's what James says. What use is it then... Or what does it profit, some translations say, my brother, if a man says he has faith but no works, can that faith save him? That word save in this particular verse means this, deliver him. 
It's different from the save in Ephesians that I just read. It's different from the save in Romans where Paul talks about being saved and talks about the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's talking about deliverance. If you look back, last week we looked at this, and you look back a few verses, in verse 12, James is talking, he says, Speak and act as those who are being judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. He's talking about living in such a way that when people are watching you, your life stands for itself. One of the things I've had to remind myself of is when we we carry nice Bibles now, and our Bibles have punctuation, and our Bibles have division, and have headers, and they're all separated into chapter and verse. You understand the original Bible didn't do that. You do understand the original Bible Jesus carried around was not the King James. I'm just kidding. Jesus didn't carry a Bible. He was the Bible. He was the Word. So sometimes what, what man has created to help us understand the Bible sometimes is a hindrance because we read it in all these neat, nice divisions and paragraphs and verses and chapters. And it all flows together. And what James is saying here is the judgment that we as believers will face is a judgment based on works. The writer of Revelation talks about this a lot. He talks about the judgment seat of Christ and that we will be judged. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We will be judged according to our works. And what James is saying is being saved is great, but there's more to the story. There's more to the story. Jesus talks about working out our salvation. He talks about how to live as a believer a lot through all the the parables, numerous parables that we've looked at. Paul talks about it a lot. So what James is getting at here, he's saying when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we all will, what will matter on that day, although we have this wonderful gift of eternal life, what's going to matter on that day is what you and I did with the gifts, talents, and abilities God gave us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get in, as some have said, into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Sliding into home plate, you made it. Whew, you're saved. And that be it. Why would we settle for that? And yet, most Christians in America, that's what most Christians in America settle for, is just, I'm saved. That's the starting point. That's leaving home plate and starting first, and that's it. That's the starting point. And so James is telling us, that's why James says in that day, what he's talking about, that judgment day, verse 14, he's talking about faith alone will be of no profit when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's saying this, number one, faith by itself without works is dead. He goes on to give us an illustration about that. If we see a brother or sister in need and they need something and we just kind of walk on by and we don't do anything, Jesus gave a a tangible demonstration in the book of Matthew chapter 10. He talked about, if you see somebody and you give out even a cup of cold water in my name, you will be rewarded for that. Why? Because that's going and putting faith in action. So he says this, it's very interesting. Verse 17, even so faith, he says, if it has no works is dead. What does the word dead mean? Now I I had to look at this closely. Because some people will teach to you that a dead faith is no faith at all. I'm wrestling with that. Basically what James is saying here, I could take it to that 
point. But James is saying here, not to read anything extra into the Scripture, he's saying if you see a brother or sister in need, you say, go in peace, be warm, but you don't do anything, that's dead faith, which he's saying the word dead is, is useless, it's ineffective. It doesn't do any good. It's unprofitable. Now some people would say, yeah, but that doesn't mean non-existent. I don't know. I'll let you wrestle with the Lord about that. Either way, whether it's not there at all, non-existent, or it's ineffective or unproductive, why would I as a child of God want to have faith that is unproductive or ineffective? And yet again, in most of America, that's where a lot of people who say they're Christians, if you do a poll, the majority of the population of Americans will say, I'm a Christian, they will. For now. Now, a lot of them won't classify a denomination. They will check the box, none, because they don't want to be affiliated with any denomination. And rightly so, because our denominations have a lot of issues, Southern Baptist included. But most of us in America would check being a Christian. But what does that look like? When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ will look at our works, for those of us who know Him, not at our faith, and He will determine, has our faith been Profitable, which brings us to number two. Faith is made perfect by our works. Faith is made perfect by our works. How do I see that? What does James say here in this passage about it? Well, it's interesting. If you look at this, starting with verse 18, the the challenger, there's a challenger in this passage. There's an opposition It's almost like James is getting ready to have a debate with somebody. Understand, as you read this, this is two different people kind of talking. James is kind of role-playing this conversation as he's sharing these verses. This is not what James is getting ready to say in verse 18. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? All right, just making sure. James is getting ready to state what the opposition is going to say. James is saying faith and works are both important, and an opposer is getting ready to jump in. Before we look at what James says, let me give you, let me give you an example because some people will say, um, let's see here, look at Romans chapter, actually 1 Corinthians, let's go look at 1 Corinthians. Flip backwards to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll give you a couple of examples real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. There's some phrases that Paul uses that James will also use to let you know Hello, conversation's getting ready to change because, again, in these times, there was not punctuation. And so James is going to use a phrase to help you, and Paul uses a phrase to help us understand, hey, there's no punctuation here, but the conversation is getting ready to change. So let's look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Here's what he says. Paul has been sharing about our hope in Jesus through the resurrection, and in chapter 15, verse 35, Paul brings up, the opposing person. And here's how he does it. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And then it switches. He says, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. And he goes on to say, Paul introduces the objector in this passage with this phrase, but some will say. And then he answers the objection by saying something like, you foolish person. Now, some of you may have a translation that has the punctuation in there for you. 
I looked this week, and my New American Standard has a punctuation, but some translations don't have it punctuated like it actually is being said, like James is demonstrating it. Let me give you another one. Uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. If you want to flip backwards to Romans chapter 9. I love to hear the pages rustling or the apps swiping. I don't know. There's no noise for that, is there? We need to come up with a noise. Whoop, whoop, whoop. There we go. Romans chapter 9, verse 19, we see the same thing. Paul says this, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, you, O man, who answers back to God. So he gives a phrase in answering again. Some translations, indeed, O man, who are you to reply to God? Point being, I don't want to confuse you this morning, but point being... He's demonstrating that there's an objector and there's a conversation happening. So let's see what James, how does James do it? James chapter 2, back to James chapter 2, verse 18. Here's how James says it. But someone may well say, James kind of doing it like Paul did, right? James says, someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. The objector's still talking here in verse 19. I hear some people quote verse 19 out of context. This is the objector talking to James. You believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and you shudder. And here's James slipping the conversation back to him. His answer is, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And then he gives an example, which we're going to get into in just a minute. So the objector is basically saying this. It's kind of difficult to grasp here. He's saying that beliefs have nothing to do with actions and actions don't have anything to do with beliefs. Most of us in here would argue that or argue against that. We would say, no, beliefs actually do influence actions and actions do influence beliefs. But if you think about what happens in our modern society, there are some times where that doesn't play out. Let me give you a couple of examples. One that's very near and and dear to us. Christians maybe who don't have good works in their lives. You and I probably know some people who are believers and they would say they're believers. But if you took a spiritual survey of their life, their life would not necessarily show that they are believers. They believe Jesus is God's son. They believe he was born of a virgin. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in a sinless life. They believe in the cross. They believe in all those things. But their life is in shambles. They sin constantly. They do everything contrary to God's word. You and I would say, wow, there's a there's a contradiction there, wouldn't we? We'd say that their faith obviously has no connection with their works if their faith is genuine. I'll give you another example. I have some dear friends who are Mormons. We would say that's not the true gospel. We would say that they don't believe everything about Jesus that uh, we believe. They have incorrect beliefs about God and even about uh, who Jesus is, maybe even about eternal life, maybe even about the future. But it's remarkable that a lot of Mormon friends that I know live more holy Christian lives than some people who say they're Christians. So faith and works, it's like their faith is kind of wrong, but yet their works is being displayed maybe even more godly, if I can use that loosely, than some who would say. So what does James say to that? How would you answer that if you're James? I mean, the objector's kind of throwing that at James saying, okay... Tell me how you'd answer that, big boy, because I'm seeing a a conflict. I'm seeing where this does not play out like it should. And so James says, okay, I'm going to give you an answer, and I love it. 
He does in verse 20. Here's what he says. Oh, foolish man, you want to know how faith without works is useless? Here you go. I'm ready to give it to you. And here's what he says. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his own son, on the altar? Now the objector in those earlier verses, I didn't know this without study, but the objector says something. He says about the demons believing that God is one and even they shudder. This objector that James is kind of throwing out is using a, uh, a Jewish theological belief, one of their huge beliefs, that's a belief of us too, that God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God is one. And so James says, okay, I'm going to use an example of a person who believed that ultimately our father of the faith, Abraham. So I'm going to kind of give this back to you. And here's what he says, was not Abraham justified by works. James refers to an event in the book of Genesis, which you know. In Genesis chapter 15, God goes to Abraham and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. You're going to, you're going to, the Messiah is going to come through you. And we read in Genesis, if you want to flip back there, I would encourage you to. Don't take the pastor's word for it. Never take the pastor's word for it, by the way. Genesis chapter 15. Chapter 15, here's what Here's what we read. The Lord gives Abraham this promise. He's wondering about his offspring. He's wondering what's going to happen. And God tells him in verse 5, your descendants are going to be huge. Everything's going to come through you. And in verse 6 it says, Abram believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, capital H, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So James uses Abram Abraham to say he has been declared righteous in the sight of God. He was justified before God. And that is exactly what we read in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, or in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. I know some of you, you're going to have to go home and study this because I'm giving it to you fast and you're kind of going, whoa, 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 whoa. Watch the recording or download the, the podcast. Here's what it says, Paul said in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He even quoted the scripture I just read for you in Genesis. He said, for what does the scripture say? And Abram believed God and reckoned, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So how do we get eternal life? How are we justified? The same way Abraham was justified. We believe in God. James is not contradicting what Paul said and what we read in the book of Genesis with Abraham's life. But James goes on to say that Abraham was justified by works because that's what he says in verse 21. So how in the world do we... He was justified when he believed in God and now James is saying, no, he was justified when he did works. What is James saying to us? Well, he gave us a different story, didn't he? James gave us a different story. He didn't talk about Genesis 15. What did he talk about? If you know your Bible, he's talking about when he offered up, verse 21, Isaac, his son, on the altar, which we know is later in Genesis. We read it in Genesis chapter 22, which biblical scholars say is anywhere from 15, 25 years after Genesis 15. So what in the world is James saying? 15, 20, 25 years later, Abraham was justified... Is what James says, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. 
Justification, you have to know what that word means in this context. Again, context is king, verse 21. We talked about the word dead. We talked about the word saved. There's the word justified. What is justified saying? Justified here is not saying, talking about eternal life. Justified is talking about being declared righteous. Which brings us to number three, what what faith does for us, real faith does for us. Number three, it energizes our faith. For Abraham, what James is saying is, his actions is what made the difference. His actions is what showed that his faith was complete and mature. His actions, I would say, is what showed that his faith was real, was the evidence that his faith actually was growing. So number three, work will energize our faith. You you know why? I've discovered this. I'm old, but not as old as everybody, but I'm old, 52. I've discovered in my 36 years of being a Christian, when my faith gets cold, it's because I'm not doing work. When I lack vibrancy and joy in the intimacy and closeness of God, it's when I'm sitting in neutral. And by the way, when you're spiritually sitting in neutral, you're actually going backwards. Some of us think we can just sit in neutral and coast with God. There is no coasting with God. We start to go backwards in our spirituality, in our relationship with Him. I think the reason some Christians seem to be immature, sometimes they never grow, there's no works. Sometimes they struggle with sin, there's no works. Am I saying works is more important than faith? No, I'm saying faith and works like James is they work together. Faith And works work together, which is why he says in verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. His faith was fulfilled and he was called a friend of God. The scripture was fulfilled because he also put his faith into action. We have the whole spectrum of Abram's life From Genesis 15 to Genesis 22, and that one verse that James kind of plops in there, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abram believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Justification, here's the point, justification in the sight of God will lead to justification in the sight of men. You say, Jack, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Do you think that the people who were watching Abraham were kind of watching to see how he lived? Here's a guy who said, I'm believing in God. I have been justified by God. I am righteous because of God. They were watching his lifestyle to see how he was going to live, to see what he did. Because, don't forget, God had promised to Abram that the rest of the nations and the Messiah was going to come from him. And you know the story, some of you do, some of you maybe not, that his wife was not pregnant and they both were old. So the whole world was watching them to see, okay, he's saying he believes God. Let's just sit back and watch and see if he really believes. Church, the world is doing the same thing to you and I. How do they know if we just believe with our head or if we have enough belief in our heart that the belief in our heart starts moving our feet into action and doing the things that God has called us to do? They don't. They only know by watching our lives. And that's what they did with Abraham. They watched him 15, 20, 25 years. Sometimes he seemed righteous, sometimes he didn't. 
He, he was going through his whole life declaring himself as righteous before God. And many people who witnessed his life, I'm sure they were skeptical of this. But then something happened. What happened, Jack? What happened? I'm so glad you asked. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't. If you flip over to Genesis 22, we'll, we'll see what happens. Genesis 22. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, which I will tell you. And you know the story. Abraham took him, and he went up to the mountain, and he put this offering together, and he put his son on the, on the uh, table to sacrifice him. And what did God do? God, at the last moment, seemingly last moment, intervened and said, Wait! Because Abram was willing to put the thing that mattered the most to him on the table. He was willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Church, i got to tell you, I think God is challenging me. Maybe he's challenging you too. If we're going to go where God is calling our church, which we're going to talk about tonight at 6 o'clock, I encourage you to be here. If we're really willing to do whatever it takes, it's going to require some change. It's going to require some personal change. It's going to require me giving up my agenda for God's agenda. It's going to require being inconvenienced. And yet God said of Abraham, because he was willing to sacrifice the most important thing, in this scripture, James says to this, he says, God called him, verse 23, the friend of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be called a friend of God. Do you want to be called a friend of God? You say, Jack, how do I get to be called a friend of God? Let me, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked, because I asked this morning, and I had to see how I could be called a friend of God. And I looked at John chapter 15, verse 24. And here's what it says. John chapter 15, verse 24. Jesus says this, if you are my friends, if you do what... I command. If you do what I command. So here's, here's how this works together that seems to be contradictory, but it's not. We've been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We're headed for heaven. We're the children of God. Awesome, awesome. But faith Alone in Jesus doesn't make you a friend of God, according to Jesus himself. What makes you a friend of God? You do what he has commanded. You're my friend if you do what I command. Faith alone gave Abraham justification in the eyes of God, and works gave Abraham justification in the eyes of men. And they looked at him, and they watched his life, and they were like, wow, there goes a friend of God. I don't know about you, but that's what I would like people to say about me. But if they're going to say about that about me, then I have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Your word, sometimes we don't think it's clear, but it's crystal clear like a mountain brook. And God, we know that for by grace we're saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But Paul goes on to say in the very next verse, though, if we kept reading, and we have to, because context is king. Paul goes on to say, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
So Lord, I pray right now in this solemn moment, Lord, for those friends in this room. Lord, would you help us to be honest before you? And maybe the first question that we need to ask is, are we saved? Do we know you? Because according to James, the fruit, the evidence of us having real, genuine, productive, effective faith is that we will be having works in our life to match. Not works to earn our salvation, but works because we want to obey what you've commanded because we love you because you gave everything for us on the cross. Would you help us to be honest this morning? Friends, while you're praying this morning, I I love you so much. Maybe you're here today and you're looking at your faith in your life and you're wondering, is it really productive? Is it really genuine? Is it real? Is there fruit there? Would you just ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to you and to tell you Yes, you know God. Yes, there's fruit in your life. Or no, no, there's not. And if the answer is no, it's okay. But, but the way to get over that hurdle is to say yes to genuine faith in Jesus. And to allow Him through the Holy Spirit to do those works through you. That will give evidence that you know Jesus. So if you're here today and that's you and you just need to call on the name of the Lord, I pray that you do that. For the rest of us, maybe as we hear this passage today, we're reminded that our faith needs to be energized and matured. And there's some things that God has has called us to do or maybe even new things He's calling us to do. Would you surrender those to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have a song of invitation. And no matter which of those two groups you find yourself today, I'm, I'll be here at the front. I'm asking my friend Heath to come join me. If you need to pray with somebody, you just need to grab a hand. We are not going to embarrass you. You just say, hey, just pray for me. You can be specific. You can just say, hey, the Lord knows. Just pray for me. And I'm going to ask you in just a minute when we begin to sing, just right then, first note, would you just slip out of the seats and just come down front? If you need to know Jesus... Put genuine faith and trust in Him today. I'm going to invite you to do that. Or if you just need to surrender maybe a personal agenda that's in your heart and say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I pray that you would just do what God has laid on your heart to do today. Father, I pray that you'd have your way during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing our song of invitation together? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. 
Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.